program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Camille McConnell. And we actually met because a mutual friend of ours, well, family relation of yours, friend of mine, Tamara Zander was saying, if um, anyone in this area knew someone that might want to help sponsor an Afghan family, kind of be a bridge. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And because I'm so upset about how our government left people um, stranded there as a prior military wife, um, you know, that could have been um, people my husband had worked with. He didn't have connections to Afghan, but it, it it felt Afghanistan, but it felt very close to home for me that we left people there. And instead of being mad about stuff, great way to get over that is to find ways to go and serve. So welcome, Camille, to Share Your Hotness podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So um, I would love for you to dive into ha- a little bit about you first, because um, other than just that your friend's Tamara, your family member's Tamara, who's my friend, who's awesome, who's on our local city council of South Jordan, um, which by the way, I helped get her going on that. Ooh, that? look at you. Yeah, the mayor was like, at the time was male. And he said he would love to see more women running in local city politics. And then he was like, who do you know who'd be great? And I was like, Tamara Zander. And by the time she saw on Facebook, all these people were like, I totally agree. That's amazing. So I think her first reaction was like, stop it, Lita. And then, and then she thought about it and prayed about it. And she's been serving in our city for a long time and she's awesome. So a little bit about you. And then let's go into talking about some of this stuff with the Afghan culture. Yeah. So, um, I'm 39. Um, my husband and I live in Davis County, Utah, so Northern. Um, we've been here for about five and a half years. We're both from California. So California natives. I grew up in Newport beach and he's from San Diego. So we lived there, um, until five and a half years ago, we've been married for 15 years and we've had five kids since we got married. So So. did you move from California because you had too many kids and you hit the state Mm -hmm. limit? And yes, they, they kicked me. I had, I had too many checkers at grocery stores ask me, wow, you say, I have so many kids. It just got so offensive. I had to leave. No, <laughs> we, we, um, it just felt kind of prompted and like we were supposed to be in Utah, which was really interesting because I never really thought I'd live here. You know, I just figured yeah. we were from California. Why would we leave? The but, weather's amazing there. And where you were. Yeah, we were living um, in Temecula area at the time. And it was great weather. But um, we just felt like we were supposed to be out here. We had some family that lived out here. He has a a sister. My parents had moved out here. I have a brother here. Um, Since we moved, my other brothers come here. So it's just, I think it's where we're supposed to be for now. I don't know if we'll always be here. But 
I mean, we both play are. a lot of pickleball. It's a very thriving pickleball community out here in Davis County. So that works out. I mean, we became pickleball players after we moved here, but that's a big part of our life. That's lives. why you so were prompted to move here. It was so we could become pickleball stars, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. And um, you save a lot on taxes. Yes, because I can deduct everything when I, every time I go play pickleball, it's a deduction. <laughs> I was referring from California to Utah, but yeah, oh, we have saved how, so much money. Well, property taxes mainly. How do you tax deduct pickleball? I'm just kidding. No, people do. So like if you teach lessons, uh, um, you could include like going to the courts as networking. So your miles, I guess. I mean, I'm a business right. owner, so I'm creative. Maybe I'm too creative, but Never mind, nobody heard that. No one heard that, but you know, like, um, when you buy Your a new paddle, good with it. buying a paddle could be office equipment. If you were teaching lessons, I'm not teaching lessons. I was kidding, but some people are brand reps. And so they actually make money off of selling stuff. So every time they go play pickleball, if they talk about it, that's networking, right? Right. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. I, um, I am always honest, but I'm also going to be very diligent in finding the ways that I can legally tax deduct the things of course you need but to I, your business owner. yeah totally and you know i have a mileage app which i highly recommend everybody get oh i'm because... sure you have racked up a few miles since your last trip right <laughs> <A few. laughs> might have been an added bonus when i was doing my decision on how i was going to do these three speaking trips and two booths mm -hmm. um that might have factored in that I could get 65 cents. I think it is a mile mm -hmm. off that's on my pretty, taxes. That's pretty so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that, the, the number was, you know, you get, um, you know, 37% in taxes or, I mean, excuse me, like 37% in taxes that we're paying something like that to be able to get, to not have to pay some of that, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's like 300 bucks, I'm going to take it. Right. Well, because it um, adds up, it's the mindset really. So that mindset, it adds up, it ends up being like thousands of dollars at the end of the year. Well, so one of the reasons I recommend people get a mileage app is because you can tax deduct your medical. So every time you go to the doctor, um, so even yeah. if you don't run a business, you know, you go take your kid to the doctor, you go to the doctor yourself, that adds up plus charity work. That is true. I know. I remember when my accountant asked me that question when you're, what about charity work? I was, I hadn't even thought of it. I was excited you're, because you're leaving money in the government table. They're just, they're mm -hmm. just going to go like, and use a, use it to figure out the mating practices of cockroaches or something. So yeah, we might as well take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. There was like a thing. I'm like, do we really need to know what cockroaches are attracted to? We know that they, <laughs> They multiply <laughs> very, very good. I don't think they're thinking about attraction. Yeah. I heard about a government study with that. And I was like, how much money? I'm going to claim all my deductions from now on. Yeah. So charity miles, that's going to, that's going to add up for people. You know, you go and take um, dinner to a neighbor, you know, if you, let's say, well, I guess a neighbor, you wouldn't drive that, but you know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I've, I've racked up quite a few miles working with Afghans lately. Yeah. Sure. Well, especially since. You live about 40 minutes north of where I know the family that you met me and introduced me. I totally counted every time I go and visit my yeah. Afghan family as it's, charity miles. Yeah, it's like 30 minutes depending on traffic. But I mean, you I used to be doing visits with people. I mean, some weeks I was visiting nine families a week. I would just do visit after visit after visit, like three in a row, three days in a week. Yeah. 
Nellie. And especially when the Afghans want to feed you, mm-hmm. do you I mean, eat every single one? If I'm hungry, you know, I know where to go. <laughs> I, um, sometimes it's just kind of like grapes and juice. Right. But you can't really go to an Afghan's house on an empty stomach. I mean, on a full stomach, because you're just going to get more full. You have to not eat. You have to plan your meals around it for sure. Right. Right. Well, I told you about how, when I went to go visit, um, our mutual friend, Anissa, who's Afghani, mm-hmm. and I was explained to her that I was on a diet and oh. that I, I couldn't oh. eat potatoes and carbs and, you know, and these things. And she started crying. She got really <gasps> sad. Oh, Did no. I not tell you this? Well, you, I mean, you mentioned it, but I didn't realize she was really crying. She was like, you know, her face scrunched up, but not like, like tears didn't come out of her eyes, but she looked like I had sucker punched her. Oh, see, that's tricky because I actually am sensitive to wheat. So I don't ever, I just eat it when I'm there. Sometimes I get a little rash later, but, um, yeah, I ended I, up eating the thing. Yeah. If I then... stay away from wheat, I do a lot better. So I just haven't had the heart to tell people I don't eat this because it's not good for me. And their, their culture is, that's like a rejection of them to not eat their food for the women. So I've just never dealt with it. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like, I just get a rash, you know, I get a third Um, year, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get involved in, um, let's go into what the need is and how you got involved. So I got involved last December. I can't believe it's only been less than a year. It feels like it's been a couple of years, but my friend is so much work. I know it's been a lot. This friend who lives in my neighborhood because she, she had the connection to the Afghan community because her sister-in-law's parents um, were connected with a fam, an Afghan family who had just gotten here through a contact who served in the military in Afghanistan. And he had kept in touch with people he'd served with um, the Afghans. And one of them actually was a refugee that came here about seven years ago. His name's Mohammed. And so he said, once the evacuation began, he asked Mohammed if there were any families that he knew of that could use help here in Utah. So it'd been a few months after the evacuation because they were coming to Utah. And he said, yeah. So his church group, his ward at church um, congregation, congregation, they adopted yeah. like five families. It was kind of a holiday project. And then that trickled down to my neighbor who got a, who sponsored a family via help from Mohammed. And so she asked me to help gather supplies for her family. She said, can you just throw this out to your network, your contacts? And um, we were able to get everything they needed fairly quickly. And then she asked me if I wanted to sponsor a family. So at this point, it had just been people like who were connected with Mohammed taking on a family. And I asked Mohammed, how many more families do you have right now that don't have anyone helping them? And he's like, well, there's probably at least five. So I said, send me all of them. I'm going to find volunteers to help their families. Um, Helping back then was a lot of it was donations because there was such an influx that the, um, the government was overloaded. So they have, we have the international individuals. Yeah. Did not come here because they want to come here. They came here because they'll be killed in their country because they worked with the Americans. Right. And, um, and they were led with the clothes on their back. Yeah. And they were honestly, the percentage that actually got to leave is a lot lower than the percentage that worked with the United States. So it's really sad. Yeah. So they came here and the resettlement agencies that the government contracts 
to help them were overwhelmed. And so some of these people didn't have winter coats. It's, it's December. Or one of the boys, he didn't have a pillow to sleep with. It, you know, it's like, these are basic things. And so at the beginning stages, it was just connecting the Afghans to people I trusted. My brother got involved, his friend got involved in kind of his word of mouth that way and um, providing some essentials. And uh, overall, our, we've created this group. I'm, I help lead the group because I've just found families, American families to sponsor the Afghan families and um, friends of the volunteers. I've kind of been the liaison. We've helped over 65 families. Um, and if you go back to the beginning when Muhammad was first connected, there's been probably over like 75 families that have been helped. So it's been pretty. Um, so you're um, 90% connected to the families <laughs> that have helped. I helped. mean, and it's it's interesting because as I've gone out in the community and I've gone to events and I've met other people that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. They've, they've become these community organizers. Between all of us, I mean, we've helped pretty much all the families here in Utah from Afghanistan because I've connected with lots of different people doing what I'm doing. And it's amazing. Just how many how many Afghani families do you think um, have been evacuated? Oh, I don't know. Total evacuated. I forget that number. But in Utah, there's a little less than a thousand, I believe. That's what I was asking. People. Yeah. Not families, but individual people. Individual peoples. Yeah. So that would probably be about 200 families, maybe a little less because some of the families are quite large. Right. Which is, um, you know, that's one of 50 states. Yeah. Well, and not even that. I mean, there's some of these families were helping. I know that Utah is in Germany and Sweden and UK and they're not just here. And I, well, I've heard that Utah is very receptive to receiving people, which makes me really happy that they are. Yeah. Um, Cause I live here because I think that, um, you know, people that, um, the, um, SVI's special, um, visa. Oh yeah. SIV. Special SIVs. Yeah. Visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, definitely we should be making space for them. So, yeah, I mean, there was a news article that came out that listed the number of refugees that each state would take on. Arkansas was like three. And I was like, how's that helpful? <laughs> but three, Utah was three six. families, three people, I believe. Three people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay. But wow. maybe I misquoted. Hopefully, maybe it wasn't Arkansas, but there was one state that the number was three. I was kind of surprised. But Utah said like up to 850. And that number is, we've gone over the threshold, I know, at this point. Um, but the governor of Utah did say, he sent a letter to President Biden and he said, you know, Utah was founded by refugees. They were fleeing for religious freedom and fleeing right. from persecution. And um, there was a, a funny, a funny fact. Yeah. yeah. And a funny fact about my family is my mom's side of the family helped move my dad's side of the family out. They were a part of the mobs. Oh, that's and so prided funny. themselves in helping kill the Mormons. Wow. And my dad's family, you know, were a part of, you know, being, you know, doing hand carts in the winter, you know, and, you know, they had to cross over the frozen rivers and everything like that. So I think it's really funny that eventually these two families end up, you know, <laughs> making a family. My mom was disinherited for marrying my father because of the family sentiments, but I think that's kind of a, you know, a funny, a funny story. Wow. That's one side pushing the other out and they eventually end up being related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just goes to show you should be nice to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the extermination order. I love that our governor remembers the, 
the the a lot of the West was settled by um, the Mormons, people, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, you know, Las Vegas, lot yes. of Idaho. Um, um, it Mesa, was, Arizona. Yeah, was uh, was by refugees. I love even that. Um, a lot of like parts of um, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, some of the people that discovered gold at, at Sutter's Mill mm-hmm. um, were there's a couple of uh, men of our faith that were there, and they were like, "No, I'm going back to Utah." They're <laughs> <laughs> like, "Whatever." <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I love that our governor remembered the roots of, and that we need to be welcoming to people because in one sense, we, you know, um, we're all immigrants, we're all refugees at some point or could be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to be compassionate to the fact that there are people, um, like these Afghani people that are here, um, that left wonderful lives, you know, um, our government paid these individuals, um, well, or they served in the military. And when you think about uh, many parts of that part of the world, having a steady job does put you at the higher echelon of oh, absolutely. economic status. Cause you're not like, you know, when you go to Mexico and you see kids in the street selling, yeah, you know, it, it just, you got to realize that could be you in a different circumstance. So anyway, these people had wonderful lives and thought they had safety and security and were fighting to help make their country better. Right. Um, and uh, we turned their back on them. So, so you, you've helped 65 families directly or indirectly through volunteers that you have found. Are there still families that don't have someone that you're aware of? Um. There's a couple of families that are pretty self-sufficient and not every family really wants that relationship because at this point, it's not really about what stuff can I give you? Because I've been telling all the volunteers, we have to be really careful not to become a fairy godmother. You right. know, we're not just here to supply things. Um, at this point, most of the relationships are based on friendship and mentoring Right. So some of the Afghan families are pretty self-sufficient. They're not really interested in that kind of emotional relationship. Um, I do have maybe a handful of families that might be interested. I just got a couple sent to me. Um, but what I do now is when I get a family sent to me by one of the Afghan community leaders, because I have a few that will send me families, not just Muhammad, is I double check with other uh, group leaders like myself that are out there and I say, hey, have you connected with this person yet? And often it's yes I know who that is and we have had to help them in these ways and so if I kind of see they're already taken care of right get that back to the Afghan community leader just so things are streamlined yeah I think that's really important too because I've noticed that a lot of what I've been doing with my family is kind of helping her to see the cultural differences that are now a reality in her life yeah. You know, that, um, I'm a working woman. It doesn't mean that I don't love my husband or have faith in God, you know, to provide yeah. for me, you know, and, and culturally, um, she, you know, she mentioned to me that she, her father believes in her being educated oh, okay. and, and, uh, what did that mean? How many years of schooling would be very different than how American would view, oh, this woman has been educated. Right. It's a very different standard, maybe sixth, seventh grade, maybe. You know, which, which is I'm grateful for because we can communicate with her. There's some right, way she can't do right apartments to visit them. And you have to just tr- use the translation app with the husband because she can't read. Wow. 
And so that's, that's hard, you know, when you can't communicate with her unless you have a translator. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the cultural differences of, you know, it's definitely been a wonderful thing for my daughter to be able to see. I've always been like, you know, you have the right to vote. You will, you know, like, because, you know, she didn't have to see, you know, um, you know, suffragettes fighting in the street for her right to vote and for her to be able to realize that there are parts in the world that, and to see someone face to face, eyeball to eyeball and to connect with them and to care for them and to realize that's not a right they necessarily have where they've come from or even more interesting that they may or may not even realize why they would want that. Yes. Why that would be necessary or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that you just let your husband take care of it. And cause my daughter was asking me, you know, doesn't, doesn't she struggle with um, not having a job and her own pursuits and the things that she's doing outside of her kids. And I was like, well, that's a really good question. You know, um, that's, because, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, I have to have my own space here in America. You know, women are like, I have to have my own thing. And that literally just to be able to have that thought and to pursue that is a wonderful privilege and luxury of not only where we live, but when we live. Right. Because not right. all women around the world, that's even a thought they would have. Correct. It's a completely different mindset. Yeah. So it's been powerful for my daughter to kind of be like, wait a minute, you know, this is really different. Like family planning. Yeah. That's not something that a woman gets to say. I mean, she said, texted right in front of my daughter because we're going through translation apps Mm -hmm. that she does not have. How did she say it? That she doesn't say no to her husband. And my daughter later when we got the door, she said, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I'm like, oh, okay. This is what, that. Was your que- what was your question to her to get her to respond with that? <laughs> I was just like, how far? I mean, we were just talking about the baby and I'm really excited, you know, yeah, for but, her. We, yeah. but, but for her, she has a, an 18 month old and she just, just kind of volunteered this information that she doesn't, oh, wow. it's not, I don't say no to my husband, you know, and my yeah. So and it's just such a really- different mindset than, yeah. um, you know, where I can take the birth control pill or I have all these different options where I can still be intimate, you know, right. but that, that is not neither one of those is a choice. Well, so some, a lot of the women that have babies here in the hospitals in Utah, the doctors will, with the help of a translator, introduce the option and some of them will take it. So she might not even know it's an option yet. Right. Well, I might've mentioned it. You, good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> but then of course I felt like it might be culturally religiously offensive because you don't want to be uh, forcing your culture right. or your religion or your ideas on other people, which I think is one of the reasons that in some of these countries where people are like, why are people upset with America? Well, it's mm-hmm. because they see Hollywood mm-hmm. and they don't want some of the things that Hollywood is saying that we, that you should have. Right. You know, we've got a branding problem. Yeah. I went to Armenia and the women were asking me if I had a boyfriend and I was like, yeah, my husband. And they're like, no, like, like another man, a man on the side. And I'm like, no, just, just my husband. And they're like, no, like other women in America have boyfriends. Why don't you have a boyfriend? And I was like, Mm. no, most, most of us just have one at a time, (laughs) you know? And, and they were like, really? And I was like, yep, just, just one, just, in fact, I don't know anyone. I mean, like 
when I meet someone who is married and they start with someone else, we, uh, we're pretty shocked by that. That's yeah. not a good thing. And they're like, really? And then they, cause I'm like, why are they thinking this? Like, am Who I they following on Instagram? vibes? And right. then they, um, they were like, um, no. Cause then they started mentioning these different TV shows, which I haven't even seen most of them because you yeah. know, they're, I'm not grown up enough, I guess. For some of yeah, you're shows. not mature. You have to be a mature audience for that. Yeah. And if they say it's going to be a mature audience, I'm like, oh, well, I'm pretty immature. I find poop jokes hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. Those, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was crack up and they're like mature audiences. I'm like, but the content's really not that mature. It's pretty selfish and immature. So I'm not boom, sure. boom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much won't something, watch something that's mature content unless, um, a friend has already said, this is, this is worth watching. And it's like a history thing, but not like history smut thing. Right. 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 You know, because I just, I don't really enjoy, um, maybe it's just cause my husband's sexy enough for me, you know, <laughs> I don't really need to, I don't really need to watch, you know? So anyway, I, I don't have uh, my boyfriend and husband are all the same guy. And so, <laughs> um, I, and, uh, it was cute because, uh, we were, Anissa has a, a neighbor that's, um, that, um, they were, their dress style of dress is very different than a Muslim woman pre- present herself mm-hmm. and her eyes are just like, Oh, <laughs> you know, just so freaked out to, um, see this young woman with, you know, her butt barely covered and yeah. you know, halter top, you know, so things are very visible. Every curve is aware. Mm-hmm. And she's just looking at me like, how is that allowed? Yeah. Where am I? Where am I right now? (laughs) And the funny thing is she doesn't seem to notice or maybe is not aware of how they're kind of like, why is her head covered? Yeah. Why is it on a hot day that we have long sleeve shirts? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, well, different people have different beliefs. Yeah. You know, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I've, which I think is in general of service that when my intentions were to kind of um, at least I can do something in this small corner, you know, about the whole Afghani situation. Um, But as typical, whenever you get to lean in to do something, you learn so much more and um, I'm gaining a much deeper appreciation for the Muslim culture, which I thought I was pretty aware and, you know, had Muslim friends, but to see maybe a more orthodox form of Muslim that I haven't been personally encountered before, other than just seeing people, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's such a different culture. It's really two worlds colliding in a lot of ways. And in some beautiful ways, it's, there's so many things we have in common. Just I'll go visit a family. I've got a three-year-old little boy and they've all got little kids. Right. So I show up and they just start playing together. They don't speak the same language, but Will loves visiting. He'll call, he calls them the, the FUGs. He's like, let's go visit. I said, do you want to go see the FUGs? <laughs> I love, I love visiting. Yeah. I'll go see the FUGs. Um, he's my best friend. Like he just loves playing with the kids and playing with their toys and he's super social. So it's fun to just show up. There's a language barrier, but there's not a humanity barrier. It's just, Oh, I love that. Showing up with my child, um, saying hello, um, eating some food, smiling, texting well you know text translating back and forth to to see where they're at and following up and seeing how I can be helpful or what they're struggling with or whatever making sure their jobs are happening and 
and yeah, things like English that. Classes, um, if their kids are going to school, how that's going, stuff like that. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a really interesting thing. Cause, uh, my, my family, you know, the kids not school age yet. Well, preschool. Right. But not like all yeah. day kindergarten kind of right. thing, you know, and, um, to realize that these kids are going to be able to grow up and may not even have an accent, you oh, know, no. when they're yeah, in high school, right. Will. Like, right. you know, that, and they will be Americanized. Yeah. You know, just like, um, my ancestors on my mom and dad's side, they were both pioneers, but for, for different reasons, you know, some for land, some for religious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, they came from different parts of the world and had different, uh, ways of being. And, you know, I, I don't know much about my mom, my dad's side. I'm probably 70% Welch or something. I don't know, but I, I don't speak a word of Welch mm-hmm. and, um, could barely point it out on a map for sure where my ancestors are from. I know where Wales is, but like what part, you know, that kind of thing. And to think of these kids, how quickly they will become a part of America. And is this something that our families are happy about? Yeah, well, I was talking to a couple of men at a recent uh, gathering over the summer, and it's something that they're concerned about because they don't want to let their culture go because they treasure it and they just want to make sure that their kids can still have that in their lives. I mean, and most of the, the people that are here, their families are mostly back in Afghanistan. So they've got mom and dad, aunts and uncles. And so if their ch- children can't speak the language, they, they do FaceTime all the time. They call home every day. If their kids are not able to participate with the family, family is a huge part of their culture. Right. Which is why Utah is a good fit for so many, because we understand even if you have a bigger family, it's not seen as strange. We understand that people want to have kids and they want to raise their kids in a peaceful place. Like we have that in and common. Want to raise your kids in your faith. Yeah, exactly. So I, they, they are concerned. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, especially the women, I think will be the most interesting indicator for me to see how the women evolve over time because the kids are like you said are going to become Americanized. The men are going to be in the workforce. So they're going to be more likely to be learning English and be more acquainted with American culture. So the women, if they're not going to English classes, like there's an online Zoom option. Some of them don't really make time for it. If they don't immerse themselves in some way, their kids are gonna pass them up. Right. And at least they have each other though. I mean, I feel like when there's a decent um, demographic, so there's a decent amount of Afghans here now, right? About a thousand. So they do have get together. So get together for um, cultural religious dinners, like Eid around Ramadan when they fast for a month. Right, right. And they have each other, which is good. And that's one of the focuses that I have with this group of volunteers is having regular events for the women to gather. A lot of the families, the women really need to go out and get a job because they can't, the husband's making minimum wage and they don't have enough money to pay rent and food and everything. So I've actually helped one of them go find a job. She's working at a daycare and her kids go to the daycare as well with her. Um, and she's able to make that work and she doesn't speak English, but she has a coworker who speaks her language so that she can help translate and she's going to learn it a lot quicker. But a lot of the women won't be in the workforce yet because they're going to be having babies. And so I still do 
um, want to get the women together and we have a date set for the beginning of December. I'll send out more information, but yeah, just keeping, keeping them connected to each other. Not like they don't already have friends, but some of them, most of them don't have cars or driver's licenses. So during the day, they may feel pretty isolated depending on how many Afghan women live in their neighborhood, which usually is not right. too many. So I asked, yeah. I asked my lady if she wanted to drive and, and she went kind of gave this like kind of sheepish head nod. No, no. you know, like, Oh, I would not deign to do such a thing. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, it was funny because my daughter, again, you know, these, these wonderful cultural things you learn that make you grateful for what you have and also reverence what others have as well. And she was like, had, could identify with that because she remembers when she was, you know, going to start learning to drive, she felt really intimidated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you are going to drive. This is something you need to do. And she would have been probably waited a couple of two or three years before she would have wanted to do it. Yeah. And, you know, she was mad at me at the time for kind of forcing it. Now, of course, she's so thankful and loves it. But to realize that some sometimes when we don't push ourselves yeah, or our culture doesn't make that available to us, we, we don't take it. We don't take that opportunity. Right. And it's only think- dream what you can think. Right. And there's enough women in the community who are more progressive and who do want to learn English and who do want to work and they want job, they want to drive. So there's a few that do want that. And I think, um, and there's some that have been here longer, right? They, they evacuate or they, um, immigrated as refugees, you know, five years ago, six years ago. So I think that the more exposure they have to the possibilities for women that are Afghan and they see well, it doesn't have to just be this way. I can still be Muslim and I can still be a yeah. devout follower, but I can still drive and then speak English and work. You know, there's options. I think that over time, the women will see their options and there will be an evolution, of course, and if their daughters will be Americanized. So it's really just that first generation, I think, that struggles the most and sacrifices the most. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being able to have, um, I think when we encounter, there's a human instinct, when we encounter something that's different from us, we might fear it. Mm-hmm. And so the value of being able to connect with different cultures is we realize that, like you've said a couple times through this, that we have a lot more in common. Yeah. You know, finding those commonalities, even if it doesn't look exactly the same, you know, the Muslim faith, the Church of Christ, Latter-day Saint faith, you know, may not have exactly the same things on the outside. But they're looking and trying to find those commonalities helps you to see how really they're just like you. They want, we all want the same things. You know, we want to have a a rewarding life. We want our family to be K. We want help, you know? Yeah. There's this story. I went to go visit a family, um, live in the same complex as the family that you help. And Uh I was bringing them a food processor that someone had donated because they didn't have one. And that's a pretty basic common uh, staple for the women in the kitchen, right? Because they do so much yeah. cooking. So I bring them this food processor, but they're like, he's like, well, how do we make it work? So he speaks Persian or Farsi. And I was translating with him because she doesn't speak. She doesn't, she doesn't read or write in Farsi. She speaks it, but we can't communicate because if she can't read my, text. my translated right. text, then there's no point. Right. So luckily he was there and he's like, well, can you show me how it works? I don't have that food processor. So I'm just sort of following the instructions and it's not working. I'm trying different plugs and different outlets. It's not working. Um, I went on YouTube to try to like figure this out. 
And we've been working on it for at least 10 minutes. And at one point it was, it was turned on and I plugged it in and it just out of nowhere made the loudest sound. It was just so startling that, you know, this dead uh, food processor was all of a sudden just like blaringly loud. And so I jumped back and I screamed because I was like, wow, it caught me off guard. And then we all started laughing so hard. I was crying. It was just so funny. And we weren't even using language. We were just, it was like a silent, you know, those movies back in the early 1900s, they were just right. like, sound like, it was like that. We were just like having this moment together of frustration and then feeling just like, it was so funny because <laughs> it was so loud. And then I stayed a little bit longer and they said, oh, do you want to eat anything? It was just, it was just nice to be with people. They felt like friends, but we'd never really crossed paths before. And I would have never crossed paths with somebody from Afghanistan without this evacuation, you know? So even though it's been such a hard situation for them, there are some silver linings. I think just that connection has been a really cool experience. I know for me and um, they are so grateful that, you know, our group is helping them. And so I think that's the silver lining for them too, is there's people here who are looking out for them. They're not completely on their own. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, we, as you've said that humanity, yeah, our common humanity, I was, uh, in Armenia for work and I decided to go to, um, kind of, kind of like, be like an open fair market. And I was going to be meeting some people there, but I was walking over by myself and I noticed that I was kind of being followed by someone and I just kind of didn't like how that was feeling because they were following me and I'd gone a different corner and they were following. So I'm like, my purse might be a little bit too interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And anyway, there was a bunch of men sitting in this park that I'd gone into where the open fire market was like on the other side that were playing chess, which was so cute to me because in all the Russian movies, there's always those men in the park playing chess, right? That's very true. And our, you know, Armenia used to be an Eastern Bloc country, you know, but they have their own independence now. So there's like literally that park, which I'm like, oh, how cute is that? And then I was like, <laughs> here's this guy following me. Uh, you know, maybe I'm just being paranoid, but um, I'm feeling a little bit like my gut saying this isn't okay. And there's these older men playing chess. And I'm like, you know, if I just go over and stand by these men, I'm going to be safe. Mm-hmm. So I went over there and this gentleman's, playing on some kind of instrument that I have no idea, something kind of akin to an accordion, but I, I don't know what it is. And as soon as I come over in their space out of respect, I guess these men all, he stops playing the music. Cause this is like a man's space, I guess. <laughs> and um, I didn't want to be interrupting. And so there was a man who was just kind of standing there. And I looked at the guy and kind of started doing a beat and I grabbed the man and kind of started doing like a Western hoedown, you know, grabbing the guy and swinging, you know, you know, just kind of dancing with him. Right. <laughs> and then pretty soon all these other men, you know, they pause their chest and they're coming and I'm going from arm to arm to all these different men. And, um, they're, you know, then we're, you know, singing and they're singing. I don't know. I'm just like, ah, you know, and we're dancing and this music's happening. And it was literally, that is one of my favorite travel memories of all time. Then the men are like hugging me when I need to go join my friends. And uh, of course the other guy's gone. I mean, like, it looked like I just found 40 grandpas, you know, kind of, <laughs> it's like and this man took a pin off of his lapel and put it on my coat on my pin. Oh my gosh. 
And I treasure, treasure that, that pin, because it's just the reminder of this moment. And if those men knew why I approached them or not, I don't think they would have responded any differently, you know, that I was needing kind of a group of people around me Mm -hmm. and that, that we did not have any common language, but they, we loved each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just one of those perfect, perfect moments. And, uh, if we avoid people because they can't speak like us, we miss the opportunity of the shelter and the humanity and the love and all the things that we can learn from them. And we don't have to have language in common. Right. It's been, yeah, that's so true. It's just been so enriching to get to know these people I would have never gotten to know otherwise. And yeah, it's just been to have a relationship with somebody from a foreign country that you would never visit, right? You can't go be a tourist in Afghanistan and to be sitting in their living room and having them say, you're like a sister to us. It's just, it's a really cool feeling that we get to even know each other, right? It's just like, what are the odds? And I I feel horrible about the situation, but um, like, I wish it was different for them because I wish they could be with their families and they could be safe. But um, I've grown to love them. So that's been really cool. Now, are there families that are there that they're FaceTiming and connect with? Are they safe? You know, I think it depends. Um, Some of them seem pretty content. I've asked, how are your families doing in Afghanistan? Are they doing okay? Yeah, they're good. There's others that are really concerned about their family. They've been sending money home to help buy food for their families. Remember last, let's see. Well, with the Taliban taking over and with the winter season, that was a big issue. Um, And so some of the families, it just depends. One of the families we help, the dad was separated from the mom and the kids. Somehow they couldn't all come. They couldn't all evacuate together. So he's here in Utah and the mom and the kids are in Afghanistan and they've been in hiding. Last I heard they were in hiding because they were being kind of sought after. Um, by the Taliban, which is just horrendous. So it really depends on the family. Have they gotten out yet? No, but from what I've heard, talking to somebody who he's Afghan, he went, he, he, he's been here for about six years. He went back to Afghanistan. He was able to bring his mother, take his mother out because they were able to get a passport for her. I guess the Taliban's trying to act like they're a government. So they're issuing passports. Um, so you can get one through them. It takes a few months or you can get one through a dealer. It's illegal, but it still gets you out. And those are like $1,500, but they're quicker. So, um, I don't know how he did. I can't remember what he did to get his mom out, but he got his mom out. And, um, I've heard of other families that were separated where they are getting passports. Now, I don't know if they can just walk up to the, you know, get a flight and they wouldn't fly straight to the United States. Of course, they would fly to Qatar or um, Saudi Arabia, you know, Dubai. And so if they could just get a passport and then go to one of those countries, then they could get by flights to come here. Um, It's a situation I'm watching closely because there's a couple of families that um, really want to be connected. So I've been talking to the volunteers and asking for updates and 
I'm actually doing a fundraiser concert in two and a half weeks um, to raise money for travel funds for these families to get here. Okay. See, that's a good thing to know because uh, I'm thinking, you know, I couldn't just go to Qatar, you know, get a plane ticket. I mean, I probably could, but you know, it's not money I've planned out. And if you're a refugee, you definitely do not have the money to be doing this. I'm like, how do they get around? I, I, is there a credit card system? I'm not sure. I just know one of the families, he was a doc, the dad was a doctor. So the dad, they've been able to pay for, well, actually no, their family that lives here has been sending them money. They've been able to buy passports and I'm help raising money for passports for a different family. Um, with this concert. Yeah, so, illegal passports. I don't even know. Whatever they can do. Like, who cares? I don't and I know. guess I'm not against breaking Taliban rules. Well, here's like, the thing. Being, I'm I, okay with breaking that rule. Right. I've had somebody tell me, oh, I don't feel comfortable helping people come into the country illegally. And I was like, well, I don't really feel comfortable with kids getting murdered. So gotta pick your battles. Well, is it illegal they're getting SIV status? Right. They already have legal family members here. They're just joining them. Yeah. So, and I I'm with you. It's like, we don't, which is why I get so upset about the border is because, um, if we're sending the message, you can come. It's, um, there was a, a, a journalist who was reporting how basically every woman gets raped. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to policies that are on our books, where we're getting people here that we're prioritizing SIVs, mm-hmm. you know, we're prioritizing people that are, um, here, that are able to come here and actually partake of the American dream Mm -hmm. versus just this free for all. Um, You know, we're encouraging the coyotes, which are not an animal. That's the people that, you know, those 53 um, immigrants that died in the, the, the trailer, you know, because they got too hot, you know, we can't be allowing that kind of thing to happen because the human cost of this, right. It's, you know, it's better to stay in your country, apply to come here. Let's get here. I love immigration. I want more people here. I don't blame people who are wanting to escape their lives, but if you're not in danger, if you're not in SIV status, then, um, you know, stay, let's get you here safely. Yeah. It's you know, where you're not having to sell your body to do it. It takes you know? too long though. A lot of them are in danger and it just takes too long to do it the legal way. So they're just desperate. Right. But, that's and, not- but some of them have also been told falsehoods. Like it's fairy tale land. All you have to do is get there. So there's different things happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Um, there's a very, very sad thing that a friend of mine was telling me that um, when you see or hear about a woman, if you're watching Mexican news or watch these kinds of stories, that if you hear of a young woman found in a ditch that's been raped multiple times, um, that means there's a new cartel member that has come. And it's initiation. Mm -hmm. And so they are required to rape so many women kill and, you know, and kill. And so she was saying that her town where she's from, um, she's, you know, Mexican, that they're finding one to two girls a week. Mm, So that's when you just leave and you're like, I don't care. Just going somewhere else. Right. Right. But you know, this flow of migrants coming through there is supplying this, close to the border town with nameless victims. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. And so these people are leaving thinking my life here is bad, but they're going through the cartel system right. to get here and it's not safe. It's, yeah. I can't imagine dying in a ditch after being gang raped um, is 
there are too many things that would be worse than that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd like the more economic opportunities. Um, that's what you're risking going through. So mm-hmm. that's some pretty horrific, uh, uh, I know. you know, it's so yeah. sad. I was actually asked to go to Afghanistan. I guess it would have been about nine years ago now to be a women empowerment speaker. And they said, don't worry. We'll, you know, we'll, um, have a, a, a burqa, you know, which is the covering. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I traveled enough to know that I am very tall for a lot of these countries. I'm five, nine, and I'm mm-hmm. built, um, like, a man in most of these countries and tall for some of the men. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, um, yeah, they'll know which Burke is me. Cause they're going to have armed guards and they're like, think of all the good you can do. And I'm like, I don't want to get shot <laughs> because the, the young lady, Mahala, Malala, Malala, yeah. Malala yeah. you know, um, you know, was, this is in our lifetime that women have had the opportunity to get educated and now they've lost the opportunity again. And I just think about that that 20 year old girl that has grown up being like, I get to have an education mm-hmm. and now it's taken away from her. So, you know, we focused on those that are in direct threat of their lives, but, um, we have it so good. And it's, it's, a uh, you know, the solution is we're all children of God. We all love each other and we need to be, um, trying to love people in the best way that we can and to give them opportunities and through individual connection, we're actually able to see what we have in common with each other. Yeah. And you know, we're just doing our best. I mean, I can't be everything to, for all the refugees and they didn't want to come here. It wasn't their plan. So we're just kind of, we kind of collided together and, um, seeing what we can make out of it. That's, um, you know, if I make something beautiful out of something really hard, you know, well, the best thing is the friendship. Yeah. You know, it's, it's incredible. It's very enriching and they're just so giving. They always you know, bring your whole family over and we want to feed you. Yeah. They've come over they're to our so house and generous um, with their, I friends. have a, an adopted daughter of sorts. Um, and she's vegetarian. Oh. And, uh, glue it on, you know, who's, um, you know, my, my family's head of his, their family, mm-hmm. he kept putting meat on her plate <laughs> and, and like she no. was sweet enough to eat it, but just kind of oh, like, no. um, <laughs> cause you know, he made it and you yeah. know, they'd made it and they're just such a generous people. And, um, you know, I've really loved getting to be a part of that culture. And I love and admire that you're a mom of four kids, right? Well, five technically five. Oh, that's right. We're both angel moms. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry that I, I'm just that's thinking okay. of the family pictures I've seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So five kids four with you, um, and that you have to physically take care of. And yet you have chosen to do, like you said, up to nine visits in a week. Well, that was in the spring. It was, it was a lot. I was just trying to help. There was a lot of needs back then. So yeah. it's, it's definitely slowed down. Um, to more like one visit a week, but I'm planning the like the concert and other get-togethers and a couple service projects that um, church members are doing. I'm speaking in front of one group and I'm helping do a baby shower slash diaper drive with another group. So there's a lot going on. I'm not, um, but now that I've helped fam- Afghan families find volunteers, like like a mentoring family, right? I don't right. have to visit all 75 families by myself, right? right? But I've you were the spark 
that saw a need and you kept going. And so, so often we see these big, huge world problems and we go, what can I do? Right. And maybe you don't, aren't going to be the level of, you know, Camille Mc, 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 sorry, McConnell. McConnell, sorry. McConnell. I'm like, you know, it's a level of Camille, but you can do something in your community. If it's participating in the driper drive, if it's, you know, bringing over some food to a neighbor that, you know, they just lost their job and bringing them over a few meals, you know, something we, we can affect more than we think we can, if we just simply are willing to open our hearts and love other people. Right. And I think there's a time and a season because this isn't something I could have done a couple of years ago. Um, God really put it in my heart this Christmas season. I really had a strong prompting that I was going to be helping a family this Christmas season. And that was the first family I helped. So when my friend said, can you help me with this project? I was like, yeah, I've been kind of waiting, trying to figure out what God is telling you to do because I don't know where to find this family I'm supposed to be helping. And that opened the door. And then once the door got opened, I fell in love with helping these people. So then it just kind of snowballed. Um, so this was kind of my year where I could do it. Like maybe a few years ago when my kids were younger, it wouldn't have been my time. It just worked out. So. Yeah. Well, but you were open to it. So you're a great example to, to me and to the listeners. Um, and we can, we can just do our little bit and that's okay. And yeah. just, just doing our little bit and adding that to the efforts of others becomes even, as you say, not all 75 families that you're visiting every week, but you know, you're yeah. helping affect that. And you never know. I'm sure when you just kind of had this feeling in your heart, like I can be doing something, you couldn't have laid out a, a business plan or a vision of what, Oh, no, I would have never ever figured that it would, it would have seemed like too big. Right. Oh, it would have been so scary, but I've been able to find other people on the way that want to help and other people doing what I'm doing. So we just band together and they inspire me. I love it. Yeah. We can all help each other. Hey, you're, you're a total hottie, Camille. So <laughs> thank you for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. Thank you, Lita. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.